praise. We have Miss um, Akaria Davis became a part of our fellowship. Yeah. Kim Eubanks, Austin Heinold, um, and then Stephen. We just had some great people that were part of our fellowship. God is doing some great things. New babies are being born. People are getting married. I'm telling you, God is doing some awesome things. So ministry is going on, and that's what it's all about. So I thank the Lord for that. Welcome, welcome, welcome. Um, we have our certificate for those people. We appreciate what God is doing in their lives, and we appreciated them trusting us with what God is doing. Let's prepare our hearts and mind to go to the Word. Um, I have, I just wanted to revisit a passage this morning that we started last week, and the Lord has not given me release from this series that I've been on. Um, I want to do one more to wrap it up, but he just said to me today, revisit what you shared on last week, and I just want to share some more about that. So grab your Bibles with me and go back to 1 Kings chapter 17, and we will be um, dealing specifically with verses 17 to 24. Once again, I just want to share some more on the back end of that. But before I pray, let me read verses 24, and then we're going to pray, and then we're going to walk through what the Lord has on my heart this morning. I really believe prophetically that God has a word for his church. God has a word for his people. And let me just say Restoration Christian Fellowship, and I'm praying other ministries will grab a hold to this word that God is releasing in the atmosphere this morning so we can be more of what God would have us to be. Here's what verse 24 says. And the woman said to Elijah, now I know that you are a man of God and that the word of God is in your mouth. One more time. And the woman said to Elijah, now I know that you are a man of God and that the word of the Lord is in your mouth. Let us pray. Holy Spirit, you're an awesome God. You're a wonderful, gracious, and mighty God, Lord. I am praying that as I stand to say your word this morning, that you would speak through me to your people. Give me preaching power, Lord, to just stand boldly and say, thus saith the Lord. Most of all, open the ears of your audience, God, the ears of the body of Christ, the ears of people wherever they find themselves watching, God, be it on RCF Network, be it on Facebook, on YouTube, be them in their bedrooms at work, a God, or in their living room around that television, the computer, wherever they find themselves with the phone, God, Holy Spirit, speak through that medium, God, so we can hear from you and we can be more of what you would have us to be. So I empty myself and I invite your spirit to come into me and to fill me afresh with your word. Holy Spirit, move God. As we give this to you, God, so open our hearts, Felix dies, I say this every Sunday, so that you can take reign in my life. So speak like you've never spoken before. It is in your name we pray and thank you. Anointing is what we need. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen, amen, and amen. May God just have his way this morning. I'm going to start by saying this, and then I just want to kind of share, just stand and just share with you this morning. As the coronavirus has run its course... It seems the world is on the verge of reopening um, to full operations with the goal of returning to, way, to the way things were in the past. And this is also true for most state and counties within these very United States. Most business owners, due to the loss of income, they're anxious for the economy to return to life. Business owners have been impacted. Businesses have been impacted to the point where some are facing financial demise as a result of this pandemic that the world finds itself in. 
For some, the loss of income during this pandemic has been traumatic, and I know it's impacted some of you being unable to work. Without work, I've discovered that people have exasperated their life's saving simply as a survival tactic, just trying to make it in these difficult times. In addition to the loss of income, some have experienced a literal loss. Some have lost family members. Some have lost lives. Come on, some have lost loved ones. And this loss is not something that we can honestly say that people will overcome soon as most are still traumatized not knowing what, the, what to expect next or what's going to happen next. We're walking around in fear. Though we know the Lord, we're concerned. We're down to masks. We're down to gloves. We're being protective because we don't know what to expect. Then the word is that the economy is about to be reopened. Not only has the business world and personal lives been impacted, but people who serve God has been impacted by the effect of this coronavirus. Come on, say amen. I mean, though we are protected by God, exemption from the effect of the virus is not a guarantee. Can we talk about that this morning? You know, during this season, I'm learning more and more that churches are forced to shut their doors, and they're challenged to rethink ministry. Church leaders are struck, have been struck with the coronavirus, and they've been unable to even stream their services. Some have been unable to meet. Some have literally had to shut things down in the seasons, wondering what they're going to do next. Church members are dying along with the rest of the world as a result of this pandemic and this virus where we find ourselves. And as the world is poising itself for re-emergence, many church leaders are concerned as to what a rebound or a resurgence will look like. What does it look like for our places of worship in the future? Religious leaders are asking questions they have never dreamed of asking before. Questions like, will our churches ever be filled again? Come on, can we talk about that? What does ministry look like in the future, right? Business owners are wondering if their business will fully recover from this pandemic. Come on now. Sports teams are asking, will stadiums ever be filled with spectators again? Come on. Political leaders are asking, what will these United States look like in the future? Or better stated, what will the world look like post-coronavirus pandemic? People want to know, will we ever return to normal again, or is there a new normal that we need to adjust to? Is social distancing the new normal, right? These are questions that people are asking. Is working from home the new normal? Come on. Is distance learning the new normal? Will there be any corporate gatherings in the near future? What lies on the horizon for us? We're all trying to figure this out. What will happen to the future of sports, of concerts, of the entertainment industry? Our own governor here in Colorado, Governor Polis, has said that, 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 that the the culture is transitioning from a stay-at-home policy to a safer-at-home policy. But we're asking in the church of God, what does that mean, right? What does that look like for places of worship that are called to serve the spiritual needs of the people within our community? As we work through a proper response to these and other questions, the passage we are confronted with today 
It gives us a glimpse of the church's role in restoring life to a formerly plagued society. The the passage teaches us the role of the Elijah generation. That's what I'm referring to as the new church, the arise Elijah generation. It gives us a glimpse into the role that we must play in restoring life to this community as we are on the verge of reopening society for business. As we look at this passage that's in front of us, the theme has been throughout this series is that we ought to choose God, capital G-O-D, not the gods or the small gods of this world. And this passage is really premised with a thesis that founds in Exodus chapter 20, verses 1 through 5, where God himself said to these Israelites, you shall have no other God before me. You shall not make an image to them. You shall not bow them to bow down to worship them, because I, the Lord your God, am a jealous God. And this is the underlying theme that's kind of amplified in the passage where this King Ahab, who is on the scene or the protagonist of, or the antagonist of this story, he, he, he's a place where he has so angered God because the passage said, we saw it, that he did more evil to anger God than any other king that has preceded him. This passage now picks up in chapter 17 that we want to look at today. And in chapter 17, we find this widow of Zarephath who has lost her son. And I'm trusting that you've been following along with us. And if you have not, I want to encourage you just to go back and look at the the previous series to kind of get caught up onto where we are. She lost her son to sickness. She lost her son to some sort of a plague or calamity that cost him his life. Here's what we said last week. If she were alive today and if he were alive today and got sick and died, most of us or the newsflash would have said this, the widows of Zarephath's son contracted the COVID-19 bug and he died as a result. Now here's what happened. Just like with any of us today, once her son died, her only source of provision to provide a future for her It incited certain things with her. It caused certain fear. It caused certain concern. It caused a certain panic in her life that caused her to look at God through a different set of lens. And we shared two, three simple things with you last week. The first one being is that fear will cause us to develop a faulty perception of God's care care for his word. The world. Here's what this woman did, right? When her son died, the first thing she did was go to the prophet and to say to him, what have I done that God has now come to punish me for my sin? So fear will do that. Fear will cause you to see God through different lens. It will cause you to mistake him or misappropriate him from being the loving, caring, kind, just God that he is. And we start to attribute things to God that we ought not to attribute. So it caused her, number one, to have a faulty perception of who God is. And then the second thing we saw from the text is that God wants his church, come on, the Elijah generation, to shore his care for a hurting world. What I loved about that second movement that we had last week is that Elijah did not develop a theology or apologetic of divine judgment. He, as opposed to saying what the woman did wrong or affirming her, he simply took the son and showed her the love 
love and the care of God. And, and I think that's important before we even move on today because you, you need to hear me say this. As believers in Christ, as the church of God, we must grow to the place where our actions speak a lot louder than our words. So here's what I'm saying. As we go into this place where businesses are about to reopen and we're about to face culture again, the church must change the way it does ministry. You're going to hear this over and over again throughout our time together. We must get to the place where we more than saying who God is, we show God through our actions. We show the love of God through our actions. And this brings us to the thing that I want to share with you today. I really have one point that I want you to take away with a couple of sub-points. And I just want to talk candidly to you this morning so you can hear what God is saying. And that is this. God shows his love and care to a hurting world. Here's why. So that the world may come to know him. Look with me at verse, at verse, what is that, verse 17? I want to read verse 17 so we can talk about this, and then we're going to jump into this text, and I just want to share what the Lord has on my heart. After this, the Bible says in 1 Kings 17 and 17, the son of the woman, the mistress of this house, became ill, and his illness was so severe that there was no breath left in him. And she said to Elijah, what have you against me, O man of God? You have come to, to me to bring my sin to, have you come to me to bring my sin to remembrance and to cause the death of my son? And we talked about this, look at 19. And he said to her, give me your son. And he took him from her arms and carried him into the upper chamber where he lodged and he laid him on his own bed and he cried out to the Lord, oh Lord my God, I'm in the ESV. Have you brought calamity upon this widow with whom I sojourned by killing her son? Now, this is where I want to pick up because last week we didn't do justice to this. I want you all to see some things that God is doing. And I want you to hear carefully some principles that I'm going to share with you. And I'm going to even challenge you. If you miss what I'm saying, I'm going to encourage you to re-listen to the sermon again and re-listen to it carefully because as we're about to go back to the, or go into what I'm going to call a new norm, here's his first, I'm going to say it again, we must rethink ministry. Amen. So now notice what it says in verse 21. Then he, being Elijah, stretched himself upon the child three times. And he cried to the Lord, O Lord, my God, let this child's life come to him again. And then the Lord listened to the voice of Elijah, and the life of the child came into him again, and he revived. And Elijah took the child and brought him down from the upper chamber into the house and delivered him to his mother. And Elijah said, now, uh, now Elijah said to his mother, see your son lives. Verse 21 is kind of kooky to me. It's kind of spooky. It's kind of weird. Then he stretched himself upon the child three times, and he cried out to the Lord, Oh Lord, my God, let this child's life come to him again. And I love verse 22. And verse 22 says, And the Lord listened to Elijah's voice. If you're like me, 
you're wanting to know what in the world is going on. A, a grown man laying on this child, it's almost as if there's some version of mouth-to-mouth -mouth resuscitation or something weird is going on here. But, but listen, listen to some historical cultural information on what was happening and what Elijah was doing. And so I want you to hear what the church can learn from Elijah's action as we moved into this new norm. Here's this. The Phoenicians or the people in that day, they believed that part of the profile of the fertility gods was dying and this rising cycle that was relegated to vegetations and the season. Here's what they say. The deity would die, right, during the winter months and descend to the netherworld that he would be brought back out of the netherworld and restored to life in the spring and bring fertility back to the land. Now, here's the problem these people had. They mistakenly believed this power to enable fertility extended beyond the crops and animals to people as well. And as a god, small g, who regularly returned to life, the Phoenicians believed that these fertility gods had the power to occasionally restore life to someone who died. Let, 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 me, let, me, let me explain that. Here's what this is saying. That these people, when they, these Baal worshipers, they believe that as the season changed, we know how it is when it's spring, that life would be given, then fall would come and the leaves would fall off and winter the plant would die. They were crazy enough to believe that this Baal they served followed that same pattern and because in spring he would spring back to life again, in their mind they fooled themselves into believing that if their God could do that, that he could potentially bring life. Now, this woman in the text had sense enough to know because she saw what God could do that only God could bring life because I'm sure they've witnessed dead people who were never brought back to life. And, and this was God's beef with Ahab, right? And his attempt to make Baalism the natural or the, the, the worship, uh, make Baalism equal with the worship of God. Ahab believed he could have his cake and eat it too. He believed that he could take Baalism and put it on par with God and fool the people of God into thinking that if they worship Baal, or man, let me say it differently, he, he fooled the people into thinking that Baal could do whatever God could do. And this is the tension in the text, right? God now is on a rampage to show Ahab that you shall have no other God before me. He, he was on a rampage now to show Baal that that only God has power to restore life. And, and, and this son died, and God strategically positioned Elijah at the right place, at the right time, at the right moment to be able to restore life to this young man again. And this is what excites me about the text, because if you look at it, let me give you this illustration. Y'all can appreciate this, because we hadn't seen sports in a while, right? With professional teams, there is this thing called home court advantage. Now, let me tell you what that means, is that if you're in the playoffs and if you're in a championship game, let's say you're playing basketball and you're down to game seven, most teams that are playing in a championship game would love for that last game to be played at their home court. Why is that? Because it gives them home court 
advantage. Come on, y'all know it. When you get to your home court, your fan base is there. If you're having a low moment, they can make enough noise to cheer you on because you have home court advantage. The worst thing that can ever happen to you when you have home court advantage is for you to have the crowd behind you and have the opposing team come on your court and beat you on your own court when you have home court advantage. Well, this is what's going on in the text. God gave Baal home court advantage. I wish I had somebody here. Yes, he did. He, and, and here's what he did. He took Elijah up and he sent him to the woman of Zarephath on Baal's own home court where he had the crowd behind him. And he dared Baal, come on, to make it rain. And Baal couldn't make it rain. You're going to see this next week. You don't want to miss next week. Then he comes on Baal's own home court and he feeds the woman. Come on. He causes a flower not to run out and he causes an oil not to run dry. And and don't you think for a moment this woman kept this all to herself because I can see her running all around Zarephath saying, listen, there's a God in my house that's doing what Baal isn't doing for you all. There's a God in my house that's causing my oil not to run dry. There's a God in my house that's causing my flower not to run dry. And he came on our own home court. I wish I had somebody here. And he's causing Baal to lose on our own home court. And to make matters worse, the son dies on Baal's own home court. And him being the god of fertility, where people think that he can die with the season and resurrect with the next season, yet he can do nothing for this boy. And this is the story of the whole text. God is showing up on the enemy's home court. Come on, I wish I had somebody here and let them know what is going on. Church, listen to me carefully. As the world is about to reopen, we are being positioned on the enemy's own home court, but we can defeat him on his home home court, whether he has the advantage or not. God is sending us to Zarephath. He is sending us to where the enemy is. I wish I had a praying church this morning. And we are positioned to go there and do things differently. And I want you to hear me say, we must seize the opportunity. We must seize the moment. We cannot return to life as usual. Look at the text. Look at the text. Let me read this one more time because somebody missed it. I, I really haven't said nothing yet about this. Verse 21, he stretched himself on the child three times and cried out, Oh, Lord, oh, God, let this child come back to life again. And then the Lord listened to the voice of Elijah, and the child returned, and Elijah gives him back to his mother. In, in Mesopotamian incantation literature, here's what that means. In their voodoo book, yeah, here's what the voodoo book says. Touching parts is a mean by which demons exercise power over their intended vision, a victim. In other words, it's, 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 it's an idiom for possession. So here's what that means in Mesopotamia. When the witch or the demons, they wanted to possess a person, they would go up to a person and they would touch hand to hand. They would touch mouth to mouth. They would touch chest to chest. And to them, that was a symbol of them transferring demonic power or demonic influences over a person. What's striking about the text, listen to this carefully. A 
Elijah decides to use or to, to imitate, let me use the word, to imitate their own mechanism, their own means, their own strategy. He uses their own story against them. But watch this now. As opposed to transferring demons, he transfers the spirit of God. I wish I had somebody in here. And he goes and, and he lays on this guy and he prays to God. He says, God, I know they have home court advantage. God, I know I'm in Baal's territory. God, I know that the norm is they expect that demons be transferred. But as I lay hand to hand and as I lay mouth to mouth and as I lay body to body, God, transfer your spirit, transfer your power, transfer your anointing into this boy and let him come alive again. Church, hear me say this. God's expectation is that we go in the world and hear this. And use the world's own vehicles to transfer the power and the presence of God into places where it's not anymore. And if we don't seize this moment, if we don't seize this opportunity, we miss missing what God wants done in this season. And society is about to be reopened. Hear me. People of God, I want you to hear me say this. Here's what the church of God, here's what God's word says to the church of God. Listen to this in Joel 2 and 25. I will repay you for the years the locusts have eaten, the great locusts and the young locusts, and the other locusts and the locust swarm. My great army I will set among you. You will have plenty to eat until you are full. And you will praise the name of the Lord your God who has worked wonders among you. Listen to what God is saying to his church. Never again will my people be ashamed. Then you will know that I am in Israel, that I am the Lord your God, and that there is no other. Never again will my people be ashamed. And here's what he's saying to his church. And afterward, I will pour out my spirit on all people. Your sons and your daughters will prophesy. Your old men will dream dreams and your young men will see visions. Even on my servants, both men and women, I will pour out my spirit in these days. I will show wonders in the heavens and on the earth, blood and fire and billows of smoke. The sun will be turned to darkness and the moon to blood before the coming of the great and dreadful day of the Lord. And everyone who calls on the name of the Lord will be saved. In this new Norman, normal there ought to be more salvations because we're transferring the spirit of God. We're not transferring demons, right? So I believe the church of God is called to restore life to those who have lost it. Elijah gave this woman back to her son. Here's Elijah giving life back to this woman symbolizes God giving life back to this broken world. God wants to give life back. It symbolizes God giving life back to those who have lost it. It symbolizes God giving life back to those who thought all hope was gone, right? And God wants to use the Elijah generation to speak life to those situations. The, the coronavirus has taken away from us. A lot of us have lost a lot. God wants to restore. I want you to hear me. He can restore life to that dead thing. And I believe with everything within me that the church of God is to play a critical role in that restoration process. So here's what this means. We've got to rethink how we did church. I want you to hear me say this. 
we got to rethink how we did church. Here are a few cautions I want to exercise and I'll be done. This is cautions for those that want to be a part of the, the Elijah generation. We should exercise caution with allowing the bales of this world to compete with God for his worship. No more. We cannot do the church or do God and do the world. You're going to see this next week. We are forced in this season to choose one. I love the fact that more prayer is going up. Come on, God's not going to have his church straddle the fence anymore. Come on, one foot on one side and one on the other. That is what Ahab was doing. And this is what he sent Elijah to do. We got to exercise caution of returning to business as usual. The church cannot be about facilities anymore, nor should it be pulpit-driven. We must learn how to mobilize people for effective ministry so the church can see the church, the world. Amen? So the world can see the church. Are you hearing me? The new norm, listen to this, it is actions over words. In other words, we've got to show God's love and care. Don't just say it. I've said this before. This means our ministries as we move forward must be more externally focused than internally focused. We cannot spend our week preparing for the one hour on a Sunday morning and the world goes hungry or the world is dying or the world is lost or the world is strayed Monday through Friday. We must focus on that. This means... That the new norm is making the adjustment to reach the masses and not just the select few that comes into our doors. I want you to hear me say, listen to this, listen to this. The new norm is abandoning the eight-track mindset and ministering with a cloud perspective. I want you to hear me say, I had a computer that was stuck the other day and, 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 and I forgot where I was and who I was talking to. And I asked my son, do you have a floppy disk so I can reboot this thing? And he looked at me, did you just say floppy disk? You know, <laughs> I was shocked that he even knew what that was. Computers these days don't even have space for a disk drive. You kind of get what I'm saying? And, and, and we've got a lot of our ministries that was afraid of the advancement of technology, and they got stuck operating with floppy disk when we are in a cloud season. I want you to hear me say this. It is a new day. And those that were operating with the floppy disk have missed this season, and they ended up closing the doors. This is practical. A lot of our ministries have fought cameras in the church. Now you see the need. <laughs> Using the things of the world to advance the gospel. It's, it's a new day. We need to have effective quality streaming platforms. Take advantage of social media. Hear me. Distance learning. How? You, you heard me say we conducted a new members class over Zoom. Imagine thinking differently and innovated me. I conducted a funeral over my phone. I want you to see the new things that God is doing. Yesterday, our church had our women's ministry meeting. And as I was studying downstairs, it was so exciting to hear my wife up, get engage with Pastor Therese and the women on the phone, and they had a meeting. And she comes down and said to me, y'all having a men's meeting today? And I thought for a while, it's a new way to do church. It's a new way to do church. And we will miss out if we don't see what God is doing in this day. The importance of small groups in your ministry. 
Man, we fought, we struggled with community groups for a long time. If we're going to survive into the next generation, listen to me, people, we must do it differently. We must be effective with our evangelistic message, methods. The days of going door to door saying, do you know Jesus has changed. If the church is going to survive, I hinted at this, I'll say it expressively. We must be able to tack, tack into or tap into the ways of the world and flip it and use it for the purposes of the kingdom. Listen to this. When we learn to give life back to people, here's what will happen, and I'm done. Verse 24. The woman said to Elijah, now I know that you are a man of God and that the word of God lives in your mouth. Here's what this means. The world will come to know the true church when we start doing things differently. The word hypocrite will be eradicated from the minds of the world because they will see God versus just hearing about God. And here's what we do. We say a lot of things, but our actions don't line up. It is time to change it. Rather than speaking, we need to do it. Let me say this last thing, and I'm going to pray. As the world prepares to return to the new normal, the church of God should also have a predefined new normal. We should be strategizing and praying, God, show us how to adjust to reach the lost and dying world so that they can choose you and not the gods of this world. We have a challenge. The world is about to reopen. Will ministries be reopened as well and go back to a norm? Or will ministry be different? If we're going to give life back, if we're going to resuscitate things, if we're going to be more of what God would have us to be, we need to be what God is calling us to do. As we return to life, God is challenging the church to do their modality different. Encourage people to choose God, capital G, not the small gods of the world. Got to rethink ministry. Listen, if you've been hearing and you've been tracking with this series and the Spirit is saying to you, I need you to, 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 if you want to give your heart to God, I want to give you an opportunity to say, Lord, forgive me for my sins, come into my life and save me. Salvation is really that simple. That's the kind of God we serve. If, if you've been wrestling with, do I serve God? Do I serve the world? You're going to see this next week. There comes a point where we must choose this day who we're going to serve. I want you to hear me say this. God loves you. God cares about you. And God wants to bring you into a relationship with him. Wherever you find yourself this morning, you heard the worship team sings about it. I want more. God, I need more of you. That's what he wants. He wants more of us. These are the days of Elijah. You heard it declaring the words of God. You, you heard it. You heard it. There's no God like Jehovah. If that's you, let me pray with you this morning. Father, we thank you for you. Thank you for your word. Thank you for what you're doing. Thank you for this series, God, that seems so relevant, seems so pointed. It's challenging us, God, to do things differently, to, to lay over those boys and those girls that are lost, arm to arm, mouth to mouth, breast to breast, and speak God into them, not the demonic influences of the world. Teach us to do what only you can do, God. And should there be one that says, I want to be saved, God, draw them to a relationship with you. Bring them in, bring them in, that they may know you. I thank you for you being God, Lord. In your name we pray and thank you. Amen. 
Listen, if you give your heart to God or you need prayer or anything, if you're on the RCF network, that's rcfnetwork.com, click on that button. If you're on Facebook, message someone. If you're on YouTube, say something. We want to connect with you. Make sure you follow up, God, so we can follow up with you. And thank you so much for watching. And also, don't forget to press that Give button. Your financial contribution makes all the difference in the world. You can text to give. You can go on our website and, and, and register to be our regular contributor because your finances brings this great worship to you, brings this great work. But more importantly, it takes the ministries outside the inside perimeters of this wall out into this world. So connect with us, support us financially. Here's what's happening this Saturday, right? This is the first set of the month, and our food bank ministry will be happening this, this um, first this first Saturday, make sure you come. If you want to volunteer, it comes at 7. Deacon Thomas is leading that. We have safe social distancing. We have food for everyone. We want you to be a part of what God is doing. So thank you for watching. Thank you for joining us. Um, let me say this also to our members as well. For those members of Restoration Christian Fellowship or anyone, if you're watching, next Sunday we're going to have communion. You can come by the food banks. Our deacons, I just said this to Deacon Thomas, and some of our deacons are excited, uh, going to be surprised. We're going to have communion elements laid out where you can come by the church and pick them up for when we have communion next week. So make sure you come by between the hours of, I think it's going to be 9 to 11. I'm going to guess at that. Deacon Tom is shaking his head as he's sitting on camera. Don't think there's people in here. He's watching the cameras. Amen. So come by 9 to 11 and pick up your elements so when we have communion next week, you can have that with us. Thank you for watching. God bless you. We appreciate you. We love you so much. Be a part of the Elijah generation. And may God get the glory. It is in your name we pray and thank you. God bless you. Amen.